everybody. I'm Marianne Katsidis, and this is the Heart-Led Changemaker podcast. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where it felt so juicy and inspired that it left you feeling energized and ready to take on the world? There have been countless times I wished I could have recorded conversations like that because it felt criminal that no one else got to hear or experience that feeling. Those conversations ignite something inside of you because you visualize a new way to connect with others and sometimes even a new world. This show will provide you with ways to stay focused on the future, some food for thought, new ideas and concepts, a way to create abundance ethically, a showcase of those already doing the work and succeeding, and a sense of connection. Being a change maker can be very lonely, so this will serve as a community for heart-led warriors. Sit back and let this high-vibe, heartfelt conversation light you up. Today's guest is Paralympic gold medalist Katrina Webb OAM. She is a global self-mastery and leadership strategist. On a mission to lead humanity, Katrina empowers individuals, teams and organisations to ignite individual purpose, human potential and team performance to deliver personal, commercial, social and global solutions. To me, she is a gold medal human. Katrina, welcome. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. I haven't had that one before, Gold Medal Human. That is really special. Thank you. <laughs> you are to me, definitely. And so we met a couple of years ago when you were a guest speaker at an event that I was attending and it was an incredible evening. But what stood out to me was your vulnerability and the way that you shared all the different aspects of your life, including the significant challenges and setbacks you've had over the years. Are you surprised or is your audience surprised when they hear you share that side of the story? Oh, that's a great question. Are they surprised? I think maybe. I think that's been a bit of my superpower, particularly when I do share my story about having cerebral palsy, which is is something that is difficult to see. It, I would probably say it is a hidden disability. Um, but when you know what to look for, you can see it. So it's not completely hidden. When I do appear in front of an audience and then they see me and take me in and then I start with that vulnerability, it does surprise them because I don't think they're expecting, expecting me to have a disability or a difference. So I know that it captures people's attention right from the beginning, which is great. So when you're a speaker, if you can do that in the first part, then they're, they're going to keep listening. So I do enjoy it. So to answer that, I think, yeah, I think they're surprised. I think what I've learned over sharing my story and learning how to do vulnerability correctly and well is that people love that I show that I'm human like them. And yes, I've won gold medals along my journey. And you can tend to put people who have maybe been gold medalists or have, you know, become professors or, you know, start companies that, you know, go very successfully up on pedestals and you can forget to see that they are human like you. And so to connect with people to say, hey, I'm like you allows them to 
I suppose, open up and want to listen to what you've got to say even more. Absolutely. Do you find that the leaders that you work with are still falling into a pattern of behavior where they're wanting to protect themselves? Like they don't let themselves be vulnerable. They keep themselves guarded when you're first starting that work with them? Yeah, some. So, and you know, I even look at where I learned it from and and I always go back to my my parents and 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 that's where you, you kind of need to look back, right? Because that's your foundation. And my mum could do vulnerability well and my dad not so much. And I, I think mum was able to, you know, talk about times that were challenging or things that she was going through. And what I saw when she did that was that she could create connection with people. And when it was done well, they would connect hearts. And what she got from that vulnerability was love. And and so I saw that being role modeled and I realized that if you can do it well, and there is a strategy to it, it's not oversharing and it's not sharing stuff because you feel like you've got to open yourself right up. You know, it's got to be with social intelligence and in the right context as well to be able to share. And with a lesson too, that the outpouring of connection mum built, I learned to do and that um, role modeled. And I, I can see when I work with people, the opposite to if I do share, they're going to see me as weaker or they're going to treat me differently and I don't want to be treated differently. From my experience, when people through my programs, if I can role model it and allow people to feel safe and an environment where they can at least show little bits of them, what happens is we don't do what you think you will as an individual. We actually tend to admire and are being more inspired by those difficulties or setbacks people have had or differences. And what comes back to you is love. Like people will treat you differently, but they'll treat you with this love and kindness, which and compassion. And if they're going to treat you in a way that you're worried about them treating you, then they're not the sort of people that you want to be surrounded with anyway. So people are still frightened of it, of course. It, it needs to have been role modeled. It needs to be something that you've seen and, and seen done well. I do know now more than ever, people are speaking about it. People are really realizing that. If you're leading people, and Brene Brown, who's one of my favourite, you know, researchers in this space, that I saw her speak pre-COVID in Melbourne, and she said something like, "If you're in leadership and you you can't deal with your emotions or emotions of others, then get out of leadership." Yes. Like, yeah, like leadership is about leading people, and of course, there's strategy and there's a whole piece to that as well. But leadership means you're leading you're leading people. Without people, you you're not a leader, right? And people are full of emotions and people are full of, you know, gifts and differences. And so, you know, you need to be able to show that you are human like other people and that you've had ups and downs and that you care and that you, yeah. So I've had great experiences with it and I'll keep doing it. To be honest, out of all the things that I've done as a speaker for 25 years, it's not because of my gold medal. I mean, my gold medal might get me into the keynote space because people like to have that story of, you know, turning silver to gold or it gets me the spot on stage. But when I look back over my work, the bit that's actually kept me speaking and people asking me to go back is exactly what you've acknowledged within me, is that people love to see it role modelled. That's the bit that people learn from and to see that you're human. And the part of my story too is not just be human, but I've gone out to find the tools that can really help me to be able to do that well. Yes, and none of it was by accident. All no. of it, all yeah. of it was there was a lot of hard work, a yeah. lot of grueling hard work personally, internally 
physically. There was a lot that was going on for you. And of course, being able to share that story and and also now providing people with the tools that they can use and they can adapt that in their work, in their personal life as well. You, you know, you're paying it forward, if you will, by not only just sharing your story, but also in the in the programs that you offer and yeah. all sorts of different things. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just it's just incredible. But I think vulnerability is a gift, not only for yourself, because you're being kind and that's it's a form of self-love, but you're gifting other people that permission as well. And I, I love that. And I noticed that right away with you. I mean, it yeah. stood out to me like a beacon. And um, <laughs> yeah, that's why you're a gold medal human. That's oh. why I call you that. Well, and, you know, <laughs> and I love that you said it takes practice too, because if I'm going to share something publicly and as a speaker, this is, I do share, like I will share on stage, as you've said, I will share in front of audiences and I don't just decide to share it in that moment. So the work that I, the pre-work that I do, if I'm, if I've experienced something new in my life, that's been challenging or I've had a, you know, an awareness or a light bulb moment through something that I shows my vulnerability, but I can also use it to teach a particular skill You've got to have done the work. And even sometimes on stage where I've, I'm sharing something for the first time, I can still feel a tear and people won't see it, but I'll go, oh, like I'm just on the edge of being able to share that. And so I practice a lot. I practice with the people around me, my support team. I share stories on a smaller scale with people that I really know I've got my back and I can see how they react to it and see whether that was useful. And then I suppose you you build up these stories over time that you're able to share publicly on stage and know how much to share and to read the room and when to know what story is best to share and when it's not. And by being able to do that on stage on a global level, I can also now do it in small groups, in teams. And yeah, it's about letting them see that you're, you know, you do experience the full emotions of being human. And when times where that are tough and you haven't got all the answers that you can say that, you know, I'm feeling this way too. And however, a part of leadership is you've still got to give people hope and ability to go, I'm, I'm recognizing I'm feeling like this too. And here is the way forward. So it's being able to provide that vulnerability and also with hope and solutions. So that's where people, they take that on board because you're not just the word dumping has come to me, but it's not like going here, here's my story. There you go. Take it. I'm being vulnerable. That's not what it is. You know, there's a lot of thought that's put into place around what did I learn from that? And is that, is that useful to you? Is that useful to this audience? And if it's not, then we don't need to share it. Like there's got to be purpose in it. And that's the well thought bit. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen many keynote speakers in all different levels and some of them do dump their story and you're left with nothing inspired or no action to take away or nothing to really ponder. It's good information, definitely. But beyond that, there's there's no real depth. And I know that when you are a keynote and a successful keynote, there is a lot of pre-work, just as much pre-work as there is in the actual keynote know itself it is a discipline that comes with the way that you present I understand that and it takes a lot of practice to get really skilled at being able to in the moment feel the crowd to have that awareness to shift your story and shape it so that it lands the way that it's supposed to and I think you do a wonderful job of that of course one of my questions to you is what do you think makes a good leader what are the components that you think make the best kind of leader that's 
that's a really great question. And, um, you know, I'll introduce something that we were talking about earlier. In fact, I was a part of my whole journey and it's still, I love how, you know, my sporting story was my foundation and it's led me to meet people all across the world over the last 25 years. And I absolutely love it. And one of the projects I was a part of, we were part of an expedition over the last, so all of last year. And at the start of this year in February, we actually got to meet as a group. So there was 24 women across the globe and our expedition was to find an approach to leadership that resonated with women. So if women said, oh, that's leadership, I mean, women in temples, villages, homes, corporate, to actually not a women's leadership program, but saying, what does leadership look like and what components are included in that? And we all got to get together. So we Zoomed together from across the world for a year. And then the Rockefeller Foundation sponsored it. And we all flew into Bellagio, which is spectacular. They have a, a centre, the conference centre there. And we spent five days pulling all the ingredients together. And what was really wonderful for me in that, uh, Miriam, was that I thought they were components that I believed in from my expertise of being an athlete, being a physio, you know, having a disability. But what the components that come out that I really believe in, actually women all across the world had as well. So I think it's also related to that. What is it for me? We talked about firstly vulnerability, which um, let's put that in there. For me, it's about being collaborative. For me, it's about being inclusive. For me, it's about this. And one of the components we talked talked about in the Women Emerging Program is like this infinity sign. It's about having this intelligence of when to be firm and when to be loving. And it's a dance. It's not one or the other. Like you don't have to be a firm and direct leader. You need to have both, you know, the yin and the yang. So you need to know when to say no and be firm and direct. And at the same time, you need to be able to dance back to know how to be nurturing and loving and caring. It's not one or the other. It's like, okay, this person needs to know that I'm loving, caring, kind and nurturing as a leader. And they also know that I can say no and be direct and be firm when it's needed. We talked about consistency. We talked a lot about, and the core of what we talked about was a great leader knows who they are. A great leader knows we talked about it as their essence and essence or story or core or whatever it is. What, who are you? And a leader needs to do that work to understand who they are and the story and legacy they want to leave to then be able to lead. And often that bit can be skipped and that's where most of my work is spent with helping people to understand who are they and what do they want to be known for in their leadership. Because once you define that, you then can put those values into action and it starts the, you know, the, the map starts to happen. And one of the things we found in this program, which I loved, is as a collective group of women across the world, we didn't actually say that it's this way, like it's not like it's not service, it's not a style of leadership. We actually said it's like we've created a map for people. And if you go through these this journey of the map of understanding who you are and then and following the map that we suggest. It's about finding your style of leadership. And leaning into those strengths, right? Yes. Like how do you, yeah, it's that authentic leadership. It's going, yes, there's components of leadership and I can go and learn different frameworks that will help me lead. And that's excellent. It's about also knowing what's my story and how do I want to lead with the strengths that I have and the distinctive assets that I have. You know, we talked about leadership being humble and having that humility and of being of service. So, so for me in leadership, you're trying to help unlock 
other people's potential as well. And doing it for the greater good of people and the planet. For me, leadership is that it's it's not a self-driven ego. If you're in, you know, if you're into leadership, it's this authentic feeling that you're of service, but also not not looking after yourself. So for me, leadership or leaders take care of themselves. You know, I spend a lot of time in this space around self-care, mental health, well-being, resilience, putting boundaries in place. So, you know, there's there's a lot to it and gosh, I could I could speak for days, but I hope that's a, a few components that really drives the work. And a lot of the work that I do, a lot of people come to me in my programs wanting to uncover and get clarity on all of this. And it's great when you're able to help people find what that is. Then they can put the other frameworks into place, right? We can yeah. all go on with a framework, but the work starts on, you know, who are you? So what is your true north, particularly when times get tough? What's yeah. your guiding principles? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what are your tools in those moments? And, how, you know, that self-care is a big part of that leadership. I've noticed uh, along my journey, there are a lot of high achievers that are in leadership roles, but they're also people pleasers. They've got that way because they're just, you know, pushing themselves and pushing, but the, the boundaries aren't there. The self-care isn't there. So, it, all of that success has been at a cost of their well-being. And I, I was one of those people. I'm, I'm not like that now, but I was operating in that model. You absolutely need to learn the tools to manage coming out of that space and then how to support yourself ongoing. And I agree. I think that does make up a, a big part of what makes a good leader is having that self-awareness, knowing how to manage your emotions, how to work through your own feelings, your own constitution, knowing when you're triggered, that it's yeah. your stuff, it's not someone else's, which happens all the time, you know, <laughs> and, and and being able to stay calm and steady in that knowing that you can speak your truth and you don't have to back down or surrender. You can stay in there, but it doesn't need to be aggressive either. It can just be in that beautiful balance. And I, I feel like just culturally and, and as a society, we're still learning how to balance the feminine and the masculine. I interviewed Anjani Amrit. She was the very first podcast that I did and she's a, a beautiful human. She works a lot in encouraging women to step more into the yin because there was a, a time there and now, you know, the patriarchy is sort of encouraged women to, to act like men and to be in that masculine mode. And it's now not going into the extreme and just being in the feminine. It's actually balancing both because there, there are times where you do have to be very firm and yes. you, you do have to put those boundaries in and you do need to say, mm, nah, you know, but then there are times where you do need to be in that gentleness and even that feminine playfulness to lead teams in that way. As a society, I think we are still actively learning how to do that. And I feel like we are still in quite an imbalance. Are you seeing that as well? Seeing it and also feeling more than ever that leading that way with the strengths that I have. Because for a long time, I didn't see myself as a leader because the qualities that I have, the values that I have of kindness, love, hope, Okay, appreciation of beauty and excellence is in that leadership space for me. And even spirituality is in my top five. So spirituality for me, I didn't see for a long time because I don't belong to a church or I don't belong in a religion. I'm deeply spiritual because when I finally realized what the actual 
definition is for me, it's about, you know, connection to each other and to something bigger than myself. It's about leading and helping others and being of service. It's about having really important philosophies and morals that you live by. I'm deeply connected to nature. I will plan my day to make sure I spend time in nature. And if we look at um, our First Nations wisdom, spirituality is in nature. And so having clarity on spiritual leadership, which we're still very far from, but I think more people are coming into. When I realized what my personal strengths were and how I lead, like I ran a session a few years ago for a group of young leaders called Leading with Love. And I had so many people come to that session because they thought, how could you have leadership and love in the same? They wanted, they didn't know what they were coming for, but they're like, we just come here because how do you have a title that says leadership and loving the same thing? And what does that look like? So for me, after even spending time with these, these, with these women across the world and coming out of that, I have never felt more clear and I've never felt so strong to own them and to see that, particularly if you look at women in a sense that we're built to grow and invest in others. And that is beautiful. Like that is leadership. Isn't that what leadership is to, to grow, you know, to build and invest in others. And as women who can birth, that is what we do. We use this term in this leadership program I was a part of called motherness. And I love it. I've never been a part of a leadership program that has had the term mother in it. We didn't like motherhood. We like the term motherness. And I don't even know if it is a term out there, but we loved it because you don't have to birth to have motherness. It's a quality that maybe you're saying it's in the yin and that quality of being able to, you know, to care and to nurture and to build and invest in others is such a great quality that is needed in leadership. And if you you haven't got the yin and the yang, you're going to struggle, particularly after what we've been through the pandemic. You know, we need leaders now that can do, that's that dance, that's that infinity, you know, symbol of knowing when to be incredibly firm, but then knowing if if you haven't got the nurturing and loving components coming naturally to you, then work hard at it because it's only going to strengthen your leadership. And if you're someone that overplays, like every strength of ours is a weakness if we overplay it. So if you're someone that loves and nurtures and is kind and too kind, then you need to put boundaries in place as well. So you'll need to learn to dance the other way and learn how to be assertive and say no and be more direct. And for me, that, you know, the combination of both, it's not one or the other. It's actually having that intelligence to know when you need it and when I need it. That's the bit that leadership is for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's so many things in what you said, but I really, I love that you don't need to be a mum in order to have that motherness in you. I feel like that. I don't have any kids, but I, I feel like I am that. I'm. I feel like a lot of that is in the way that I approach people, in the way that I converse with people. But in that motherness is that strength and that discipline. And then the no, you know, like if you had a kid, no. And then there's also the very loving, nurturing side too. And that that is a really important part of being a leader. Again, you know, that just comes back to that that break and that accelerator, just finding that balance in between. Right. And it's true. And being a mum, I'm sure aids and abets le- that learning, definitely. Yeah. Well, and true. I have three. I do have three boys. 
And that has been such a great tool to strengthen my leadership. And it's funny when we talk about being a mother and then having to take time out and then actually losing confidence in yourself more than ever, even coming out of that program, I now have seen and embraced all of the skills that that's taught me. And whether you do or not mother, those skills happen in the people that you have in your life as well, whether you've got nieces or nephews or godchildren or parents. We all have parents. We've all got to at some point turn the other way and and, and bringing that term fatherness into you, it's the same, you know, fathers, bringing those qualities of being a father to leadership. I really doubt to see what leadership program would be out there that would be brave enough to bring in the components of being a father too. And so it's an exciting time. Yeah, it's an exciting time where, to be honest, I'm excited full stop about the time we're in because I come from a background of healthcare, so my degree is in physio. I've always loved to work with people's well-being. So in terms of mental health, well-being, resilience, it's a topic that everyone, I would say, if they're not wanting to find a way to strengthen those tools within their people. I come from a place of disability and, you know, diversity inclusion has been something that has been dear to my heart for a long time. And to be in a place now that people, you know, we're, we're in a society that we're looking for these ways of being able to integrate and have inclusive design and you know diverse thinking and it's exciting and also to be a woman in this space is really exciting so for me the three areas that I'm really passionate about it's a great time to be in because people are wanting to to know more and yeah it's a really exciting time have we got work to do absolutely but I feel like more than ever in my whole career out of being in this space for 25 years that People are saying, come and um, we want to know, we want we want more of you and what you can share with our, us and our organisation. So, yeah, it's exciting. It, it is exciting. And and I agree. I mean, it would be great to even to include the father, the father mode in there as well, because there are men that are, they, they've been affected by the patriarchy as well. And they need, as part of, you know, being the divine masculine, gorgeous humans that they should be and that they can be, they need to learn how to do that in the way that they lead. And imagine if all of the leaders, all the, the masculine leaders in the world were behaving from that balanced father mode. Oh, I mean, it'd just be completely different, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Yeah. And you know what? I don't change my mode. How my children see me at home is how I work with people. So when when people say to me, oh, what are you talking about at work at home? And I go, well, okay, that's when people might be at. Like if we're doing a value assessment or personality profiling, I'll be like, okay, that's the first conversation we need to have. Why is there a difference? Why aren't you taking your whole, you know, your whole self, the person that your family see, do you take that to work? Because work could benefit from that and your values won't change. Like once you know your values, you don't change them. They go with you everywhere. You can't just swap them and leave them. But also the professional person person that people see of me, I can take that home better because I had a realization along my journey when I was learning skills as well, that a part of learning to teach resilience was looking at areas where you could improve on and it's where you've made mistakes or where you didn't bring your best self. And for me, I was had moments in my life where I wasn't bringing my best self to the people I love the most. And that really hit home for me that the people that I, you know, get paid to spend time with and work with, they were getting the best version of me because it was a professional version. And and there was a part of us that lets our guard down with our family and our loved ones. And I was really upset by that. And so a part of me was like, okay, I've got to bring more professional Katrina to home, you know, and put some of those things into practices. So you take, and that's how I live now. People see Katrina and that's taken a lot of work uh, because I get why people won't feel comfortable 
to bring if if a workplace doesn't allow for them to to bring all of their self or there's not the trust there of course they won't that comes back to that vulnerability doesn't it yeah you know creating environments where your staff can be vulnerable but also as a leader you setting the tone on how to do that and why that's important and the expectation that of course as trust builds that will naturally happen but there's an expectation and a and a culture that you want to create where that vulnerability exists and that and that's how I mean even including that in recruitment would be so amazing where you're asking people questions about being vulnerable and how they express themselves in that way rather than can you tell me about a time when you know you you spoke to this client and how did you resolve it like anyone people can learn those things but when you come down to the core and the behavior and really letting someone show themselves to you I mean that's a gift and I think doing that as a leader is important but again I think it is another thing that's a work in progress in our society because people break themselves up. And even I'm I'm guilty of that. Even up until not even that long ago, I was, you know, marketing Marianne and then artist Marianne and then, you know, music Marianne and, you know, whatever. But now it's just Marianne. And yeah. and, and I, I am the same in all of those things, but there was a, a component in my work where I wasn't being the realist version of me. And now I am absolutely, but it does take a little bit of refining and a lot of self-reflection to work into that. And and the more we do that, the better for sure. Oh, couldn't agree more. And I'm wonderful to hear. Well done you. And I can just <laughs> see the music, Marianne, coming into, you know, marketing. Like what, like what you, you probably were doing it anyway. You just weren't yeah. acknowledged. There's a model, uh, my dear friend actually who led the expedition, her work before she did that was around cultural intelligence and I share her model in every program that I run and and it's called Core and Flex and uh, she talks about you understanding with cultural intelligence you need to understand your own culture and your own culture is hard to crack and how she does it is to think about what's in your core and your core being all the things we've talked about, your values, your beliefs, your, you know, your strengths your skills and what you stand for is true and what yeah what you want people to know about you that is you won't cross the line for like that is just really integral about you then there's another section of that called your flex and that's not just everything else you put in your flex it's the things you've decided to be flexible on so your flex is just important as your core and she talks about if your core is too small then you're trying to people please right like everything's in your flex that you're trying to fit in and then if your core is too big then you're too rigid right Right? And then everything's got to be done your way and no one wants to work with you anyway. So you've got to get that right balance. But she said the line between your core and your flex should move because you'll start to uncover things about yourself that even you might not like that are in your core. So as you know, and that's cultural intelligence because someone from a different culture and not just having to be you know, where we're born, right? This is culture being who we are and how we actually lead and what values we live by. Someone might do something that, you know, conflicts with one of your really strong values and then you've got to navigate that or someone might say something that triggers something with you and you go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that's in my core. I don't like that. (laughs) And so she talks about if you find things like these knots within your core that you aren't happy about, that maybe you've carried in your lineage from, you know, the lineages before us, that you do work on it and you put it into your flex so it's not in your core. But if it's that strong, you know, in your beliefs that you can't shift, 
that you realize it's there, but don't make it anyone else's problem. And that's what we tend to do, right? In society, if something triggers us based on a belief that we don't even really like, we make it someone else's. We go to point our finger and yet there's three pointing back at us. You know, I love that framework because the more we can understand about our own culture and what she goes on to say is if you're in leadership, if you don't allow people to see your core and your flex, they won't trust you. And that's that vulnerability piece, right? To be able to tell people what you deeply believe in and and what's important to you and what's driving you. And the only way people will reveal their core and flex is if you reveal yours. (laughs) So it's a, you know, it's, that's that vulnerability piece coming in. You're telling your staff or workers to show themselves, but you're not showing yourself. Yes. And so I, I really love that model. And I encourage your listeners to Google cultural intelligence. And her name is Julia Middleton. It's a great TED talk. I love it. And I use it to frame all of the programs I run, whether I'm in Nepal or in Adelaide or, and she's really happy for me to, you know, give her a plug and share it. <laughs> Energy management has been noted as one of your secret weapons. And I, and that's really what we've been talking about is knowing what's yours, what someone else is. Can you share more about how you help your clients and the people in your programs work with that, within that kind of a model? Yeah. So for me, yeah, when I look at energy management, it's a whole range of different things there. And, you know, energy being made up of, we could talk about um, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. So there's so many different domains that can come into it. And yeah, there is a space in, I suppose it's boundary setting and protecting your energy as well. I look at it as simply as if energy is our currency of health, how are you managing your energy? How do you wake up feeling out of 10? And do you have a plan in place to actually manage your energy? And, and for me, this came from being a high level athlete because at the end of the day, what we learned to do to win gold medals was to master our energy. When you really think about it, that's what athletes learn to do. So we learned how to be able to say no to things and put boundaries in place. And we learned what energizes us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And we would schedule it in. And when you're an athlete, it is not negotiable because people respect that if you're an athlete, that's what you have to do. And so one of the gifts I learned from sport is that, and I never got to be an athlete full time. I was always managing work, study, and other commitments, is that when people wanted to meet with me, And say if it was Tuesday at four o'clock and I was training, I would tell people, I'm sorry, I can't meet with you because I'm training. And they go, of course you are. Let's find another time. And I learned that from the start of my athletic career that no one would ever interfere with that because I was an athlete. I'm not an athlete anymore. For me, what it was is there's Katrina that needs to be taken care of. And so I meet with myself all throughout my week. I put meetings in with myself, just like, you know, we put this meeting in today to be able to spend time together. I put them in with myself as a meeting with myself. And in those meetings, I've learned to do what works for me to re-energize. And sometimes it might be coming out of an intense meeting and with other people's energies. And I know that I will need to do something that grounds me. So it might be something slow paced and maybe more yin paced. That could be some, you know, gentle breathing or some mindfulness or some grounding um, activities. And then other or other times I might have all this energy that I've received from people that I need to expel it. So I actually need to go out and do something a bit more physical. And I even look at it from if I've done a day of, you know, a lot of admin and sitting down, then I need to go and do, again, something that's going to be more energizing. So you learn to have this language and literacy with yourself of what's required and then scheduling it in with yourself. 
And you don't have to tell people that you're meeting with yourself if you're uncomfortable with it. And I now will tell people that I'm meeting with myself because that's the time that I really do put in the work to take care of myself. Because when I don't, I know I say stuff and do stuff that I'm not proud of. They're the times, whether it's at home, whether I flip my lid or I trigger quickly to someone's action and I go, gee, where did that come from? That's not who I want to be known for. Or it could be in a work meeting where someone suggests something and I really shut it down. I'm like, oh, that's not, gee, that's not the Katrina that you want to be known for. And if I reflect on that, I'll be like, yeah, because I haven't scheduled something in for myself. So I know what it is when I don't do it. And the risk of me not putting it in far outweighs what could happen if I, you know, if I skip it. So I don't want to be known for that. And so for me, it's the first thing that happens in my week. And when I'm working with people on their journey, it's about what what do you do to take care of yourself to make sure you're able to bring that best leadership, you know, into place. And I often talk to people too when workload increases. So um, maybe you've got a project to lead or, you know, you know there's going to be intense period of time or maybe a crisis happens in life. The first thing that most people do is take out all of those meetings. The first thing I do is put even more in and that's called resilience planning. Yeah. Yeah. To go, wow, the next two weeks of my life, I've never been in before because this thing's happened. I'm going to need more than ever now, as much self-care as I can, where most people go, oh my gosh, I've got so much on. I, you know, I've got to get through this. I've just got to do it. Um, So there's a lot of retraining there that can make a huge difference to how people lead, how people show up. And do you get it right all the time? No, and that's okay. Learning how to carry mistakes with self-compassion is a tool, but learning that you can do a redo, and that's incredibly powerful, that if you do something that you weren't happy with, that you can go back to someone and say, hey, if we could do that again, this is what I would do. I'm sorry. That is really vulnerable again that you can own your mistake and also say, this is what I would do. So, yeah. Absolutely. One of the self-care things that you do, you mentioned earlier today, was about spending time in nature. And I know that you're very fond of forest bathing. Talk to me about that because I, I can't recall ever having had that experience. Oh, you must. Yes. Well, if you if you Google more about it, it you know, it's birthed out of Japan and it's, you know, incredible thing that you can do. In fact, there's there's medical clinics set up in forests in Japan where doctors are working out of and when people come and they run well, the first thing that they prescribe is nature and forests. Isn't that amazing? It is. Uh, and when you look at the science behind it, there is there's so much to it within nature. You know, there's medicine and I don't have to get into all the nitty gritty details, but there is medicine in the soil, in the trees that can actually rejuvenate people. So I've taken people into the forest and, you know, it can be Australian bush too, right? Like, you know, there is, I've taken people into Kaipo forests, which are not far from me. I take people into the mountains of Nepal in different forests. But the whole process of it is, um, and I've done the survey, you can actually do a survey before you put people into the forest and it measures their level of well-being and particularly levels of maybe stress and anxiety, then you, the best way to do forest bathing is to spend at least two and a half hours in the forest. And if you're able to walk and can, walking about, you know, say five kilometres and having that physical time in it is incredible. Taking your shoes off, getting your feet connected to the earth. And one of the best things you can do once you find a, you know, if you walk in is find a place and to be in nature and use that mindfulness just to be and to slow down. Such incredible research 
that really helps you not only to boost your well-being, but you become more creative, you know, more productive. Even looking at fractals, you know, a fractal on a leaf, looking at patterns on leaves actually helps our brain to, you know, to get settled. You know, nature is our teacher. I, I love learning also from First Nations people. One of my dear friends, Mickey O'Brien, you know, he often mentions that nature is the oldest and the wisest thing. And when we need to learn, go into nature because it'll it, it'll be your teacher. And it's also there for, you know, for such healing and medicinal purposes. So yeah, if you haven't, um, if you haven't had time to forest bathe, like go and do it. It's extraordinary. And even simple things like if you don't have time to go and find a forest that I have, when I was in Japan for the Paralympic Games, I worked with Channel 7 in Tokyo. I found some essential oil, which was exactly the the smells that you get from the trees in Japan that can be really good for your well-being. So you can use that through a diffuser. Even putting images of nature around your office can actually have some effect, not not the greatest effect, not like being in the forest, but putting plants in space. So there's so many things that you can do. And I'm part of my leadership as well is tapping into environment. I really care for how people feel. And if you can make people feel at home where they're at, and in terms of well-being, getting enough oxygen, having a great place to sit in, you know, appreciation of beauty and excellence is in my top five character strengths so if you can make people feel at home and comfortable then they're going to perform they're going to be more productive like it it, so there's there's other things we can think about that are not just in the brain in terms of output. And, and where you can draw inspiration as well. I, I live close to the ocean, so I spend a lot of time at the beach. I love being in the ocean, on the sand. With In wintertime, I've been walking with no, still no shoes on, and it's it's amazing. I think um, people think I'm a bit of a lunatic because it's freezing, but mm. I, I love it. And it just that side of things, but I just haven't had the forest experience. And, and you get positive and negative ions depending on where you are. Yeah. So I do understand that. I will, I will have to. I'll have to try. It's on my list. One of the other things that's on my list is coming with you to Nepal because I know that you have those beautiful programs and they're annual, aren't they? Your trips to Nepal. They are. Yes, we just finished one. We've got the next one's May in 2024, and we probably will run one again in October. So I did do two a year pre-COVID. And yeah, this year, there's a few personal things for me that I've been going through and still going through that I decided to do one, but next year, May and October. And yeah, it's, you know what, it's my favorite thing on my calendar. You know, I've learned to be smart too in my work that I've designed a program that I know many people benefit from, and it's also my medicine. And I will never put together a program that I haven't experienced that I don't benefit from or that I don't, if I'm teaching tools, I suppose that's integrity, right? If you're in leadership and you're telling your staff to take care of their well-being, but you don't take care of yours, like that's integrity. So if we talk about other components, you've got to walk the talk. If you're telling your staff not to work late and to look after their families and to turn their phones off, do you do the same thing? And if we don't, then why would people want to get into leadership if leadership equals you got to work long hours, stay up late, not have great relationships with the family, you know, not be healthy. Like it's that integrity. So Nepal for me, you know, it's a program. It's my medicine that lasts the whole year. And it's fantastic. We're getting such great traction now with people from director positions, executive positions, now realizing that 
Yes, you can go and do leadership programs in a classroom. You can go to universities across the world, but the curriculum we've written is the same. We love to run programs in a country like Nepal. You know, obviously it improves our cultural intelligence, but Nepal has, you know, the highest mountains in the world. We trek for one day. That's all inclusive. So if people don't enjoy trekking, we have the distance for everyone, including you don't have to trek if you don't want to, because often people think if you go to Nepal, they'll say to me, you're trekking. I'm like, well, there's so much more to Nepal than trekking trekking but there's there's so much there the the wisdom and the wonder of a country like Nepal is so stunning and the big thing that happens in the program is what we do is we give the program goes for eight days and people disconnect like one of the rules of the program is um, you can be on your phones to take photos but when we're on program make sure you've just set up all your memos that you're actually taking time out and I don't give an agenda. I give a very, a very light agenda. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. But this is, it's very thin. And I give people exactly the knowledge they need to know to make sure they're safe and what they need to pack and bring. Not giving people an agenda of exactly where they're going is so powerful because our lives are full of agendas every day, right? You think of every single day, you go, okay, if I had to type an agenda, we all have agendas every day. Got to go here, do this, do this, speak to, and and this power of going as a facilitator to say, okay, you get to disconnect from technology is incredibly powerful. And also don't worry about the agenda. Like I have it sorted, but you actually get to show up and not have to really make any decisions, maybe of what to eat. And sometimes I can do that for you. (laughs) But the power of giving people space, that's life-changing. Well, to me, to me, it seems magical. It feels like a, a really great opportunity to have some really important space to receive new thoughts. The energy to me feels magical. Yeah, it's magical. We call it yeah. unlock, unblock. So we're unlocking, unblocking and validating and getting clarity on your leadership journey. And you need space and you need time um, and need to disconnect And you need to go, for me, studying awe at the moment and the science behind awe and the link to that and well-being. And it's it's so powerful. If you there's a great book that I've just bought by Dacca Keltner, and uh, he talks about the components of awe. And for me, I've realized that all the programs that I, I develop have awe in them because it's such a great strength to our well-being you know but or it or can be through music it can be through art he uses this term moral beauty which I absolutely love he was playing around with human kindness because that's what really drives my work about doing good oh you know he used the term human goodness and he's like that wasn't quite right this term moral beauty is you know doing things for the greater good of others. So on our trips to Nepal, we have speakers in that have done, have really, some have had really heartbreaking stories, and many of us do, but have turned it into, you know, goodness for others. He talks about um, nature. Nature is where we get awe from. He talks about life and death. And so one of our, part of our program in Nepal is we go to a a very, very well-known Hindu temple that people do go on a pilgrimage to Kathmandu to see. But at that temple, there is a, a holy river that people are being cremated and there could be 10 or 20 people being cremated and you can watch and you can sit in it yeah we just don't see that in our culture we you know death and we see a lot of birth but we don't see death but that you know that brings there's awe in all of that that realizes that we're part of something bigger and having awe in our life really can boost our our well-being so yeah love that yeah (laughs) 
Katrina, how can our audience connect with you? Yeah, well, you can go to my website, which is katrinaweb.com.au. It's probably the best place. Or even if you Google me, I think my website will come. There's not too many Katrina Webs in the world. And then that you, people can connect to me on Insta or um, on Facebook or, or LinkedIn. And you can see the different programs that, you know, that we've been running. You know, it's been it's been such a gift, my journey around, you know, I, was, I met with someone today and I was doing a mentoring session with him and he's come from sport and he's also studying to be a physio like me. And so when I go back in my 20s and think, yes, I was going to be a good athlete and then I was wanted to be a physio and I was happy with that like I was so excited and for me to think about the journey where sport has taken me but also my disability within that but then also when you're someone that has a healthcare background or allied healthcare background which is really about helping people to be their best you know to pull those ingredients in a pot and then to go okay world where can I serve those it's such a joy it you know it just you can feel it as I'm saying it this is where I get my purpose in life I get my wellness from as well but I also get excited about I wonder where those distinctive assets and signature ingredients when you uncover them with the hard work you just never know where they can lead to and just because you get a degree like I have a physiotherapy degree I rarely work as one traditionally because I don't I don't enjoy fixing body parts (laughs) But the thinking I learned, the thinking my degree taught me helps me to take people, you know, to Nepal and how to take care of them and and how to help them be well. So, yeah, it's exciting. So jump on my website and uh, you can find out more from there. But, um, yeah. You are so divine. I absolutely adore you. I'm so grateful beyond that our paths crossed. And even more grateful that I got to interview you again. It's been the highlight of my month, 100%. You know, there is no words other than just absolute gratitude. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Look, you've given me a huge boost. You ask wonderful questions and... uh... I think we tap into the same areas that we both, you know, are our guiding compasses. So, you know, when that happens in life, you you both take each other to another level. So, you know, thank you for asking me. Yeah. (laughs) 